chapter 26, verse 20. Matthew chapter 26, verse 20. And as we're turning there today, what I want to do is um, just kind of explain, obviously, what's going on. This is a little different that today we're sitting around tables. I kind of like it, honestly. Um, I don't know if I'd want to do this every Sunday, but um, I like being able to sit at a table. It's easier for you to draw now um, and write notes. <laughs> Herschel. During, uh, during this time, our resident artist. So, uh, but all seriousness, uh, what we're doing today is obviously we're having a Thanksgiving meal afterwards. And we're going into uh, Thanksgiving is this week. We're going to be with family. And um, when we begin to pray about this time and what we would do and how we would do it, um, I just thought, man, what better way to sit around tables today and to talk about the number one thing that I'm thinking about right now. Because at our house... Uh, with both my my in-laws and with uh, my family, we're going to sit around a table and eat. And I'm assuming you'll do the same. You'll sit around a table and you'll you'll have a Thanksgiving meal. And we'll do it again at Christmas. And, but there's something so important, something so valuable about just simply sitting down at a table with one another. You've heard me talk about this recently a lot in our household. When we try to make these moments in our house a priority, it seems like that's when our greatest moments of friction as a family uh, manifest during those times, and we're just trying to have a meal together. Um, we may not fight or argue all day, but we sit down for a meal together, and we're blocking out everything. We're turning off the TV. We're, we're cutting out the iPads and all the electronics, and we're just going to have some real FaceTime. How many love FaceTime? And I don't mean FaceTime on your phones. I mean real, real FaceTime. And just talk with each other. And it seems like we're so busy today in this culture in which we live that the world has us going every which way. And any time that we can sit down together as a family and just break bread together, at least in my household, is a big deal to us. Because it seems like those moments are so rare. What I'm trying to do today is to model for my church family. My family is modeling it here today. And then model it here together so that when we go home, when we sit down for Thanksgiving, when we sit down for Christmas, or if it's just tomorrow, that they're not awkward moments, that the table becomes something sacred in our home again. Because I'm going to show you in Scripture more than you could ever imagine, more than we have time to get to. I don't have all, all the ability to go through it today completely. But to understand and see that the table was very central in the teaching of Christ, his experiences with his disciples and those that he touched in their lives. And I believe that God is literally wanting to use your table at home to create an atmosphere, create moments where, where life, where you can engage one another, where you can help each other heal, where you can laugh together and you can deal with real deal, holy field type stuff. Okay? All right. So let's jump into uh, the scripture today. Matthew chapter 26, verse 20. It's there on the screens. And it says, when it was evening... He took his place at the table with the twelve. I'll read that one more time. When it was evening, he took his place at the table with the twelve. One more time. When it was evening, what did he do? He took his place. Talking about Jesus. When it was evening, the Bible says he took his place. I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about that. The Bible says... When the evening came, and of course we're talking about Jesus going into the Last Supper, and we're going to have communion in a minute, and this is, mimet is a word, by the way, but in a minute, to think about 
that Jesus walked into that room and he took his place at the table. If you're looking at your notes today, you'll see in there, I put in there for you, are we setting a place for grace at our table? Are we giving a place for grace? When I think about Jesus, he represents grace to me. He represents mercy. He represents all the things that I could never be at my table. There are moments at my dinner table where I don't carry a lot of grace, where I don't bring a lot of grace to the table, but Jesus does. Jesus took his place at the table. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today, and I thank you for this moment. I believe that you're going to encourage us, you're going to enlighten us, and you're going to lead us through this today in moments. You're going to spark conversation and ideas. There's going to be real healing today among families, maybe among husbands and wives, maybe among sons and daughters and moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandparents. Maybe real healing today. Maybe it will spark conversations and things that we should be talking about at our table that we're not. Or or if our table could talk, what would it say, God? Help us to discover your gift of love today in our families. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. God's people said, amen, so be it. Before we go any further... Uh, you may or may not know the people that are sitting up here, so I'm going to give a quick introduction. This is not everybody. My in-laws are here. She's taking a picture right now. That's my mother-in-law, Paula. And uh, <laughs> that's fine. I want you to. My, my, uh, my father-in-law is busy. He helps uh, with our offering and different things, so he's busy taking care of that right now. Holly has one of her cousins here with us in the house. And, uh, and also Holly's nanny, my nanny as well, she's here all the way from Caldwell, Texas. And uh, we're glad that they are well. And they're, they're going to be joining us later for dinner uh, as we eat today. This is my lovely, beautiful daughter, Roxy. This is my lovely, beautiful wife, Holly. I should kiss you as well. You want me to kiss you? This is my dad. This is my dad, Pastor Harry. And this is my mom, Carol, many of you know. This is my sister-in-law, April. This is Regan. This is Regan right here. <laughs> this is <laughs> one of my nieces. This is John and April's daughters. And this is Macy. This is my grandma. I won't say her real name, but this is grandma. And this is grandpa. And this is my big brother, John. So, and now you know my family, because you may be a guest for the first time, and you don't know uh, everybody that's up here, and now you do. By the way, this is a challenge for me to sit down and teach and preach. So, maybe, maybe we'll be able to make it happen. Can I stand up? Is that okay? I might get there in a minute. I was thinking about this a lot, thinking about this table, thinking about what this moment looks like up here. I appreciate my family for indulging me and letting, uh, allowing them to come up here and model uh, what I want our church family to see, and then for us to model us model this together. And as we go into these moments of breaking bread later and we eat together, um, what I would love for you to see is not only engaging your family at the table, but maybe before the table, someone by the, the table next to you, before they get up to leave, maybe you go up and you introduce yourself and you say hello. And... Um, and just see where conversations lead us. But I was thinking about the table. It's hard for me to see you, Clara, with that right there. I was thinking about the table, what the table means, what it represents. And again, I think for us in our home, and hopefully in your home, it's, it's a centerpiece for conversation. Write that down if you're taking notes. It's a centerpiece for conversation. You'll notice there are some centerpieces on some tall on some of the tables, like we have here, and they're centerpieces. Centerpiece, the, the table is a, a centerpiece for conversation to happen. You know, if you, if you think about it in history, that there are, there are 
many famous tables in history, many famous tables in history. I'm just going to give you about five of them today. I think they're going to be on the screen. But the first one is uh, King Arthur's Round Table. How many would raise your hand and say you've heard of uh, uh, the Knights of the Round Table before? Sure, sure. Most of the hands are going up. Maybe if you remember in school, you probably studied that in, in world history or um, if you are a movie person, you, you've seen movies where they've tried to uh, reimagine and reenact the Knights of the Round Table. And it was King Arthur, it was said, the legend is, you know, that these were his most noble of knights. And, and uh, it, it is actually said that a King Arthur's table, this round table, is hanging in the Great Hall of Winchester Castle today. Um, it's a 1,200-pound table that is hanging there for people to see, made of solid oak and wood. And, and uh, to think about that these knights would sit around this table and they would receive orders from their king to protect the king, to protect the kingdom. And, um, and, and that was where these, these 12 men sat. The second one is, if you're a movie person, you probably saw this movie. It was made by Disney. Uh, the author in which these movies were made from was, is C.S. Lewis. How many have heard of C.S. Lewis before? He's written many great books. And uh, some, he has, uh, some of his books were made into movies, and, and one of those uh, movies, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and was a book. And, and uh, remember Aslan, Aslan's Table? And uh, it was Aslan's Table and his book, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, uh, in which the white witch, if you remember that movie, she had laid her sword down on that, on that table. Uh, the third table, of course, is The Last Supper. How many are familiar with The Last Supper of Christ? Well, if you're not, we're going to get real familiar with it in a little bit because Jesus sat at a table for that. Uh, this, of course, was immortalized by Leonardo da Vinci in his painting of the Last Supper. We have Jesus uh, sitting in the middle. We have John, the, John uh, beside him with his, his head leaning on Jesus. We have Judas at the table, and, and we'll talk about all of those things. But uh, probably the most famous table of all, and the most famous meal of all in all of history was the Last Supper. Uh, we have the uh, cabinet table, which is at Downing Street in England. Uh, the cabinet table is where uh, in the 1950s, uh, many laws were signed in in the, in the kingdom of England. And um, each cabinet member has a place for themselves at this table. The last of all, the last table that I thought was really important for us as Americans uh, is the table in which the Declaration of Independence was signed. Um, on July the 4th, 1776, a moment that changed the course of history forever as we know it. On that table, men began to sign the Declaration of Independence, declaring our freedom from the tyranny of Great Britain. And as we jumped across the pond and we settled in America and we found our freedom. How many are just, I know we're not even July the 4th, but aren't you just glad that we have, we live in a country where we can do what we're doing today? Isn't that pretty cool? We have Christian brothers and sisters in China, in Pakistan, Afghanistan, other places that end in Stan um, that are in underground churches. You'll get that joke later, like 30 minutes from now, that you'll catch it. Uh, that, are in, that are in underground churches, that they don't get to uh, sit up tables and chairs like we do and break bread together. But uh, we certainly get that freedom today. Jesus put the able in table. Write that down. That's in your notes, by the way. But Jesus put the able in table. Jesus makes it able for us to talk at the table. Jesus put the able in table. He makes it 
possible. He makes it able for us to talk at the table. I want to speak to the parents in the room right now because I am a parent. I've got a daughter who is now in middle school, which is crazy, and growing up. John's getting old as well because he's got kids older than mine. And so, um, but for us as parents, what does it look like when we have real conversations with our children? I think if we're not if if we're not careful, we'll find that our real conversations, if again painting with a broad brush, are centered around controversy more often than things of good. And we find ourselves bickering and fighting and getting on to one another, pointing out flaws of one another, uh, struggling to contend with one another in the same house. We have people here today that. Have, Blended families. You may have been married before, and then you brought children in from another marriage. And so you've got that element mixed in. And we have issues at work, and we have issues with family members. And we have all this interference. We have noise, and we have chaos turned up in our lives. And and if we're not careful, parents will find that the majority of our conversations, at least ones that are intimate and meaningful with our children, are centered more around controversy than more around moments of healing. Or moments of joy. I can remember, and John can attest to this, that uh, growing up in our household, the dinner table was a sacred place. It was just John and I. We didn't grow up with sisters, so typical boys. We ran around with our shirts off. You know, we, we were dirty. We were, we were boys. And when we came to the table, you had to have a shirt on. Couldn't show up to the table without a shirt off. You had to wash your hands. It's a novel idea. Before you come to the table, Harrison, I have to remind him all the time, like, dude, like, I know what you were just doing. You need to wash your hands. That dog is not as clean as us. Wash your hands, man. Come on. Um, Roxy, I don't have to. She's clean, but Harrison's a little dirty. Um, we couldn't burp or fart at the table. Um, I'm just saying. Now, you, you're acting like we're in church, but it's just the truth. Don't do that, by the way, at your table right now. Um, that would be awkward. <laughs> Please don't do it in the moment of silence where we can all hear. Man, and so we as parents, we've got to find moments. But at our house, we would sit around together at the table and we would talk. In our household, this is Holly's favorite moment. This is her love language. I know it. Um, I'm probably like the typical guy. I could escape to uh, the game room or the living room and watch TV and, and be my, by myself and eat. But... But I know my wife's love language is that she loves to sit around and ask us how our day was. Um, as a man, I'm like, I don't know. It was fine, I guess. I don't know. What else am I supposed to say? Um, and how was your day? Was it a good day? Was it a bad day? And so uh, <laughs> that's an inside joke with our family. So, But that's her love language. I know she loves those times where we can sit down together, we clean off the table. In our house, if we're not careful, our table, our, our table becomes a catch-all for the day. And what I, what I mean by that is, in our house, it's when we walk in from the door that we come in all the time is through the garage door, right? That's, I don't ever walk through my front door. Um, in fact, most of the guests just come in through my garage door. And so, man, we just throw stuff down on our table. And when it comes dinner time, there's an effort involved to clear off the table to make a place for all of us to sit down, eat together, and talk to remind the kids, don't fight, don't argue, Put away the phone, put away the iPads, let's turn off the TV, whatever it looks like. 
and let's talk about our day. Let's talk about what today was like. Was it a good day or was it a bad day? Uh, what'd you do today? How was school? What was your most favorite part of school today? I didn't know school had a favorite part, but apparently uh, for some people it does. For me it was when the bell rang and it was over. But for all the teachers in the room, sorry, it just was. <clears throat> but to sit down and have real conversations, to talk about real life-changing matters, to talk about joyous moments at the table, what would Thanksgiving and Christmas look like to this year? We're, we're getting ready to Thanksgiving. We'll be there just a few days. And if you created moments of opportunity for joy, to really, what would it look like if you went around the table before you began stuffing your faces and getting ready for your nap that follows and football that follows? If you paused for the cause and gave everybody around the table a moment to be thankful for something. In my in-law's house, uh, I have two brother-in-laws. By the way, I am the favorite son-in-law. I'm the only son-in-law, but... I'm still the favorite. Um, But my oldest brother-in-law, he brings his camera, and he sticks it in your face of all of us, the kids of all of us, and he'll make you say, what are you thankful for? And we've gone back through over the years, and we've looked back through over the years um, and seen what we've been thankful for. But what I'm encouraging you to do is, before you stuffed your faces, what if you sit down, maybe with your food at at your place, and you just went around the table and you, you began to say, this is what I'm thankful for. Now, don't let them give you the canned answer. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for Jesus died on the cross. Amen. God bless us all. You know, really search down deep what you're thankful for. Go to the core of who you are and really find out what you're thankful for. I mean, I think, I think we're all thankful that we have family in our lives. We have someone in our lives uh, that can make those moments a little brighter. We're probably thankful that we have a job, and we're certainly thankful that Jesus died on a cross for us, that he was born in Christmas time. And I'm not minimizing those moments. Here in my heart, church. But, but I mean, get beyond the canned answers. So, you know, come on, Dad. Come on, Mom. You know, I'm thankful that you're, you're my parents. You know, get, get to the real stuff of what I'm thankful for. You know, maybe it is, I am, I'm really thankful for this moment that we're here together. And not, not that we're just here together, but we get to do life together. We get to roll through the good times and we get to roll through the bad times together. We get to be with each other through the highest of highs and through the lowest of lows. We get to uh, encounter one another and help each other out. And so start really discovering. But think about it this church, that Jesus makes it able for us to talk at the table. If we're, if we're familiar with the story of Jesus in the Last Supper, and maybe you are, and, and you can read more about it in Matthew, actually, chapter 25 and verse and chapter 26. But in Matthew chapter 25, we have Jesus telling his disciples, he tells them this. He says, you're to go into the town, you're going to find a man there with a, a bucket, a pitcher of water, and you're going to tell that man that the master is ready for his meal. He's ready to have his, his dinner, if you will. He's got a room prepared for us already. Now, how Jesus worked all that out, I don't know. I don't know because he's all God and he was all man that he spoke into that man's heart and said, I'm going to borrow your room tonight. Can you imagine that for a moment? Think about this, church. The Savior of the world, the creator of the universe, had to use a borrowed room, had to use a borrowed cross, had to use a borrowed grave, had to use a borrowed table, had to use a borrowed donkey. Nothing was his. Nothing was his. It was all borrowed. 
the Savior of the world, the creator of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, didn't even have his own room or his own table that he could say was his. He had to go borrow somebody's room, borrow someone's table. All of us are living on borrowed time. This moment that we have right now is not ours. It's borrowed time. We're, thank you, Brother Heflin, for that thought this week. I got that from a gentleman on staff this week, that thought. We're all living on borrowed time. This time that we have here on this earth is so precious. We're, we're to cherish these moments with our family members. We're to cherish. Maybe you're here today and, and you're celebrating th- Christmas and Thanksgiving and someone is going to be missing from your table. There's someone that's not in your life that used to be in your life. Maybe they left because a moment of death. Maybe life has taken them away. I know we have people here today who have military men and women who are, who are on deployments. We have a chaplain in our church. He's out on deployment right now. So maybe you're here and, and you're celebrating. Maybe someone's going on to be with the Lord and, and this is a moment where you're missing them, but to cherish these moments. And so Jesus tells his disciples, go into the town. You'll find someone there. He's already got a table prepared and a room prepared. Go there and I'm going to meet you there. And we saw then in verse 26, 20, if we could put that back up. In Matthew 26, 20, it says, when the evening came that he took his place at the table with the 12. He took his place Listen to me, church. He took his place. I want to say this out loud with me. He took his place at the table. What would it look like on Thursday if you set a place for grace at the table? If you said, Jesus, you have a place at the table in my house. Maybe you literally get a chair and you just set it there and it's empty. And that represents Christ, his presence at your table. Or maybe you don't necessarily do that, but you make it audible that, hey, you know what, family? We don't want to forget the most important person in the room today, and that's Jesus Christ. Because he makes it able for us to talk at the table. He makes it able for us to have conversations that otherwise we would never be able to have with one another. He makes it able for us to engage one another in meaningful ways with each other. Jesus makes it able for us to talk at the table. Let's move on. Jesus makes it able for us to come to the table, to show up at the table. See, without Jesus, the disciples never make it to that moment. They don't, they don't get there. I'm sorry. They don't find that moment. They don't find that table. They don't find their redemption. They don't find their place in history without Jesus making it able for them to come to the table. Let's look at Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It says, now one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went into the Pharisee's house and he what? He took his place at the table. So not only did Jesus eat with, with his disciples, Jesus ate with sinners. Let me say that again. Not only did Jesus eat with Christians, his disciples, but he also had dinner with sinners. Dinner with with sinners. The least of these. Anybody know someone who is the least of these? We all do. We all know someone who does not have a connection to Jesus Christ, does not know them, that does not know him as their personal savior. We all know someone like that. And so Jesus makes it able for people to show up to the table and not just the literal dinner, dinner table, but do you know that the table is so important to God that when we show up to heaven, the Bible says that there will be a table set for us. 
Think about that. That the table and God's design of conversation and of interacting with one another is so central to his mission that there's actually a table in heaven. And the Bible says, because I have prepared a place for you. Hear my heart, church. I believe that in these moments now, if we prepare a place at the table for Christ in our heart, when we do that, he creates a place for us at the table in heaven. How cool is that? That today, if we pray the sinner's prayer and we ask Jesus to come in our heart, or whenever you prayed that prayer, what you did was you created a place in your life for Jesus to sit. And when we do that, he immediately creates a place for us in heaven where, us, where we will have a place to sit. So, so Jesus makes it able for us not only to talk at the table, but to show up at the table. Because of his sacrifice, because that he was born on Christmas Day and he died on Easter, because of those moments, because of Jesus coming to this earth and walking a mile in our shoes and showing up at the table, he makes it for us makes it able for us to come to the table. He makes it able for us to sit down with one another, not just talk, but to actually show up at the table. To think about it right now, that as you're sitting at a literal table, there is a place in heaven reserved for you. Can you imagine what that's going to be like, how amazing that is? All of our loved ones that have gone before us who are sitting at the table, and they're looking beside them and saying, someday my husband or my wife or my son or my daughter or my brother or my aunt or uncle who's gone before me, give God a praise, sure, that they're going to sit right beside me, that there's a place safe for them. I don't know about you, but that gives me God bucks. To think that right now in heaven, my grandparents, my mom's mother and daddy who have gone before us, they're sitting at a table and they're waiting for me to show up and there's a place for me. And they say, that's Matthew's spot. That's John's spot. That's Roxy's spot. And someday the Bible says that we'll have the marriage supper of the Lamb and we'll sit down with Jesus. Can you imagine all of humanity that has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior will be in heaven and we will sit at a table with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and we will share a a meal with Jesus. Now, if that doesn't get you excited, that's the best I got. I'm sorry. That's the best I got today. Jesus makes it able, church, for us to go to the table, to come to the table, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we're going to sit down with Jesus in heaven. We're going to share a meal. Now, that's pretty cool that we get to eat in heaven. I'm just saying. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. Now when the hour came, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles joined him. Let's move on. Matthew chapter 26, verse 7. A woman came to him and with an alabaster jar of expensive perfumed oil. And what did she do? She poured it on his head as he was, what? At the table. This moment was so important. Jesus went on to say, because if you remember... The disciples got angry at her. It wasn't sinners. It was the saints. I got upset that she was disturbing their meal. And there's a message in it of itself. But the disciples got mad at her and they said, what are you doing? This is Jesus. Who are you to take that and do that? And Jesus said, what she's done today is so important, it will be remembered for all of history. That her sacrifice and her moment and her action of love and faith in that moment was so important that a harlot, a prostitute, would be remembered for all of history? That's pretty amazing. But she did it where? At the table. Luke chapter 11, verse 37. 
And as he spoke, a Pharisee invited Jesus to have a meal with him. So he went in, and what did he do? He took his place at the table. John 13, 12. So when Jesus had washed their feet and put his outer clothing back on, what did he do? He took his place at the table. Jesus took his place at the table. What we've got to remember about, and it's in your notes, is that I can't take the place of Christ. I've got to have a place for him. You're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. None of us are perfect as Jesus was. It's him that takes the place at the table. I want to deal with one last thing as we're wrapping up, and that's simply this. That Jesus not only makes it able for us to talk at the table, come to the table, it's in your notes, he makes it able for us to deal with betrayal at the table. Think about this. Think about this. If, if you can put on your imagination cap with me just real quick, that Jesus knows that he's going to be crucified. He knows he's going to the cross. All he's wanting to do is just have one last meal with his friends, one last meal with his disciples, one last meal in this moment where he can eat with them and they can eat with him and he can have this last meal and, and they can enjoy the last moments of life together. So what does Jesus do? He invites them all to the table. I don't know about you, but if I were Jesus, knowing what I know, knowing who Judas was and what Judas was going to do, I think I wouldn't have given Judas an invitation. I'm just saying. You don't have to act all chamber of commerce and act like you're Jesus. and like, oh, I would invite Judas to the table. No, you wouldn't. You'd be like, hey, bouncers, get Judas. Bounce him out of here. That guy's, that guy's out. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. Even in his last moment of life, Jesus invited the betrayer to the table. How crazy is that? Think about that. Someone who's betrayed you, someone who's hurt you, someone who's cut you like a knife. And Jesus is saying, invite them to the table. I don't know about you, but I struggle with that concept. I struggle with that thought. I don't know if my faith is that deep, Lord. You want me to bring someone to my table, to some of the most intimate moments of my life, someone who's betrayed me, and you want me to invite them to the table? And what Jesus did in that moment to me, honestly, church, was as powerful as a moment that happened on the cross. Because Jesus was showing forgiveness before he ever went to the cross. He was showing what it was like to know someone when no one else knew who they really were. You know, character is defined as being someone of character when no one else is around, right? Being a person of integrity, you know, that you're the same when, when people are around or not. And can you imagine? None of the other disciples knew what Judas was going to do. Because Peter was hot-headed. I believe Peter would have beaten the snot out of him. That's just who Peter was. Peter drew the sword and cut off the, the, the Roman soldier's ear when, he, when they came for Jesus. I can imagine Peter being pretty upset with Judas and taking him out to the woodshed had he known what Judas was conspiring to do. But none of them knew. Jesus was the only one that knew. And all during the meal, Jesus is having to look at his betrayer in the eyes and love him just like he's loving the others. And he gets to this most powerful moment. We're actually going to go into communion right now. So I'm going to ask those that are helping us with communion if you would begin to prepare. And, and as you're ready, just serve communion. In our church, you saw on the announcements that we practice open communion. You don't have to be a member of our church uh, to participate in these elements. Um, we just ask that you are saved, that you examine yourself. We're going to get to that in a moment. So as you're preparing that and as, as you get it, 
Again, just start serving. Please give them a moment, obviously, to get to every table. Before we move on, I'll make sure everyone has been served. Can you imagine that, that in his last moments, that that Jesus is, he's looking his betrayer. He makes it, he makes it able at the table for us to deal with betrayal, to deal with those who betrayed us. See, in our life, there's always a, a Judas at our table. There's always someone in our inner circle who's close enough to hurt us, to affect our life, to make life difficult, betrayer. We've all been betrayed in many different ways. We just have. Again, it could have been through a previous marriage. It could have been through someone at work. It could have been through a close friend. You know, a stranger on the street betrays you. It's not that big a deal. I'm just going to move on from it. So the enemy always uses people who are close to us to hurt us the most, to betray us, to, to, uh, to pull the rug out from under our feet. And we've experienced that. That's our common denominator in the room. We've all experienced betrayal. And then, to me, I don't know if it's as equally as tough or maybe in your eyes it's greater. It's not the act of betrayal for me. It's getting over the act of betrayal. Right? It's the fact that I've been betrayed and now I've got to deal with that and move past that. Somehow I'm expected in the kingdom of heaven to forgive those who I don't want to forgive. Maybe you have family members who have who have hurt the family. Maybe they've been alienated and isolated. I make jokes all the time when we move into this time of season about crazy family. We all have crazy family. Maybe you have a weird aunt or uncle or or someone in your circle of family that, that you know what they've hurt the family in a deep way and. What if God brought you here today to hear this message and God is saying, I want to use you to bring healing and hope to the family again. I need you to stretch out to that family member. Let the other family member see that there's still room at the table for them. Can I tell you something, church, very powerful about betrayal? You may not know this, but each and every one of us here today, we're a betrayer. We're all betrayers. How do I know that? Because we betrayed Jesus. There's been moments where we've betrayed him. We've left him. We've deserted him. We've turned our back on him. The Bible says that we're all sinners. Each and every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I mean, for the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal. We're just betrayers. That's who we are. Now, maybe you're here today and... And maybe you, you've been betrayed, but maybe maybe you're the betrayer in the family. Maybe you need to go to someone and, like, and ask for forgiveness. Say, you know what? I need you to forgive me. I've betrayed you. I've betrayed the family. I've betrayed your trust. I've, I've broken your trust. I've broken the trust that you have in me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to, to, to forgive me for that. And, and I, I need you to forgive me for betraying Hello, this is Matt Thrasher. I am the lead pastor at Crossroads Church here in Belton. I want to thank you for tuning in today. We want to wish you and your family a happy Thanksgiving. If you're ever in the Central Texas area, be sure to come by and see us. You can find out more about our church at crcbelton.com. God bless.